Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. I'd like to invite you to join Dr. Mark Christian and myself as we look at the facts, biblical prophecies, and inside scoops of the Israeli war on Sunday, December 3rd at 6.30 p.m. at Covenant Presbyterian Church, 15002 Blondo. The event is free, but registration is required at globalfaith.org. Wars and rumors of wars are swirling all around us. We have the Russian-Ukraine war, the Swords of Iron War in Israel, the skirmishes between Iran's proxies of Yemen and Hezbollah, and even the United States, we're sending rocket attacks to defend our bases in the Middle East. None of these wars, however, are mentioned in Bible prophecy. What is outlined in Scripture is the Battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We began that study last week, but only got through the first few verses and the players in that war. Today, we're going to continue so you can understand God's purpose and his plans for the Gog and Magog War. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Last week, we explained the players in the Gog and Magog War, and we listed them, Russia, Iran, Turkey, Sudan, and Libya. We talked about the timing of this war and the reasons for this war. So this week, we're going to see the rest of the story from Ezekiel 38 and 39. And the timing of the war, as you mentioned, Jackie, is in the latter years, after Israel has come into their land that was a wasteland before they came there from all the nations. So we're looking at any time this particular war can happen. The question is, why is the war going to take place? In Ezekiel 38, starting with verse 10, we're told, Thus says the Lord God, It will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go against those who are at rest. They live securely, all of them living without walls, having no bars or gates. Why are they going up in verse 12? It says to capture spoil and to seize plunder to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations, who have acquired cattle and goods, who live at the center of the world. Well, if you look at the end there, they've acquired cattle and goods. In other words, the nation of Israel is rich. They live at the center of the world. We know that's Jerusalem. So we know this is talking about Israel. But why are they going up specifically to capture spoil and seize plunder? That's one reason. The second reason is they're turning their hand against the waste places, which are now inhabited. In other words, the land of Israel. And thirdly, they're going against the people. I don't know that Russia cares that much about the land of Israel. And I don't know that they care about the people of Israel. But Iran certainly does. They want the land. So do the other nations that surround Israel. They want the land for themselves. And they want to destroy Israel. Because Iran's goal is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. So we have to look at what Russia's goal is, and that is to seize plunder. When we think of plunder in Israel, Prime Minister Golda Meir said about 50 years ago, Moses took us 40 years through the desert to bring us to the only spot in the Middle East that has no oil. Israel had no natural resources until about 15 years ago. 
when they discovered 22 trillion cubic feet of natural gas valued at $6 billion off the coast of Haifa. Since then, they've discovered five fields that have trillions and trillions of cubic feet of natural gas. That means that just one field alone is able to provide 60% of Israel's energy needs. As a matter of fact, Israel has so much energy resources now that they've made a deal with the European Union's Climate and Energy Commission to help them rely on Israel instead of Russia for gas. And Israel signed an agreement with Cyprus, Greece, and Italy to construct an underwater pipeline to bring Israel's natural gas to them. Why is that important? Because right now they're getting their gas from Russia, and Russia will lose that. 70% of Russia's total exports are oil and gas, and most of it is to Europe. That will put a huge crimp in Russia's financial markets, as well as their ability to control many of those countries because those countries rely on Russia. In fact, Russia really couldn't afford to let that happen. So when we talk about bringing them down with hooks for a spoil, if they feel like they're forced to do that because they can't lose that European market that's been pretty dependent on them, and now here's somebody that can come along and supply that market instead, that's a real threat to them. It is. 88% of Europe is dependent on Russia's oil. 16% of Russia's GDP is their oil and gas sector. 52% of their federal budget reserves come from oil and gas. So this is huge. If they lose the European market, they're going to have to do something. And that something would be to come against the person who's supplying the market, try and take it over. So they want the spoil. They want the plunder. They don't care about the land or the people. But Iran and the other countries do. That's the purpose of this particular situation. But there's another purpose. Let's read verses 14 to 16. Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? And you will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north. Now that's important because the current war happened in the parts of the south against Israel. This is happening from the north. The current war cannot be the Gog and Magog war. It says, All of them riding on horses, a great assembly and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will come about in that day. I shall bring you against my land in order that the nations may know me when I shall be sanctified through you before their eyes, O God. Why is this ultimately happening? So the nations may know God. Throughout this passage, 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, God says numerous times, my holy name I shall make known in the midst of my people Israel, as well as to the other nations. So the ultimate goal of all this is to not only destroy Israel's enemies, so that the world may know that the God of Israel is truly the one true God. So when you speak of that, are we talking then about a supernatural deliverance from this coalition and the war that they perpetrate upon Israel? We are, and let's read that in Ezekiel 38, starting in verse 17. Thus says the Lord God, Are you the one of whom I spoke in former days through my servant, the prophet of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you against them? 
And it will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger. And in my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day, there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. And the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the fields, all the creepy things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground. And I shall call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. And with pestilence, with blood, I shall enter into judgment with him. I shall rain on him and his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. And I shall magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations. And they will know that I am the Lord. God is supernaturally going to protect Israel as well as using Israel apparently, to fight with swords on that land. But ultimately, it's so that everyone will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord. And it looks like he's using every element of supernatural judgment that we read about in Scripture. When you talk about earthquakes, that's always been a form of God's power. Plague and blood, rain, hailstones, fire, brimstone. This sounds like absolute judgment from God. It has to be, because nowadays when we see what I might say would be miracles, people explain them away. Even when I was in college, I was told by the professor in my Old Testament class that the miracles of the Old Testament were just natural occurrences. That's what people try to do, because if they don't know God, they can't see God's miracles. God has to do something spectacular to let people know that he is truly God and that he's the one who has protected Israel. So then we go on to Ezekiel chapter 39, which continues this war. Here it reads, And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I wouldn't want God to say that against me. He says, And I shall turn you around, drive you on, take you up from the remotest parts of the north, and bring you against the mountains of Israel. There again, we see that God is the one who's putting the hooks in their mouth. He's the one that's giving them the push or the shove to let them know that it's time for them to go against Israel. And they're coming from the remotest parts of the north. Lebanon is north of Israel, but Lebanon, first of all, doesn't have this ability, but they're not the remotest parts of the north. And certainly the Moss in southwest Israel are not the remotest parts of the north. So this is yet to be a future battle. It hasn't happened. This has never been recorded in human history. In Ezekiel 39, 3, And I shall strike your bow with your left hand and dash down your arrows from your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops, and the peoples who are with you. I shall give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. You will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord. That's quite a statement where God is going to bring all of them to death on the lands of Israel. Definitely, it is the lands of Israel. We know where the battlefield is. It's very clear. It's the mountains of Israel that have invaders coming into them. 
And it says, I will set fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. So all of these things add up to judgment that is undeniably from the Lord. Some people will say this is the Battle of Armageddon. However, the Battle of Armageddon is clear that it happens in the Jezreel Valley, which is up in the area of Megiddo. Megiddo is on the west part of the Jezreel Valley, and the Jordan Valley is on the east side of it. It's not the mountains of Israel. Armageddon is going to take place in a valley. This goes on to say in Ezekiel 39, 7, And my holy name I shall make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I shall not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. That tells us there that Israel is going to see God working. We know that when Jesus returns as the King of kings and Lord of lords at the end of the tribulation period, that all Israel will look on him and they will mourn as one mourns for an only child, it tells us in Zechariah. Is that talking about the same time as this? I don't think so, because the timing there is the end of the tribulation period. I don't see this as the end of the tribulation period. I see this instead as a time when Israel is absolutely going to see God. They're not ready maybe to turn to him or not all of them will turn to him because Romans 11 tells us that when Jesus returns, all Israel will be saved. This just tells us that his holy name shall be known in the midst of Israel. That doesn't mean that they'll turn to their Messiah as yet. But all in all, this battle is going to cause the nations and the people of Israel to see God's hand like never before. And I'm wondering, too, when we talk about the nations, there are the five nations that are coming up in this coalition against Israel and invading it. But what about the rest of the nations, all the nations of the world? Will they be observing this, and will they be able to see that the Lord is God? Well, I would say they would, because according to this, it says, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. The idea that all the nations will know he's God. Then he tells us in Ezekiel 39, 8, Behold, it is coming, and it shall be done, declares the Lord. That is the day of which I have spoken. We get into some interesting aspects of this battle now as we turn to Ezekiel 39.9. It says, And those who inhabit the cities of Israel will go out and make fires with the weapons and burn them, both shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, war clubs and spears, and for seven years they will make fires with them. Why does Israel need fire for seven years? We all need fire of one way or another. And they're going to do that with these weapons. Can this be done during the seven-year tribulation period? It certainly could be, because Israel will be hiding from the Antichrist, and they will need things to keep them warm. We don't know. We don't know if this is going to happen during the tribulation period, because the one thing that isn't 100% clear in this battle is when it's going to take place. If it's going to take place right at the beginning of the tribulation or before the tribulation, It can't take place after the tribulation, and I'll explain that in a minute. But the timing's still questionable. We just know it's going to take place in the latter days. When the scripture talks about burning these weapons and the seven years making fires of them, I've heard people refer to that as possibly having something to do with nuclear or radioactive weapons that it would not be safe to interact with these weapons for perhaps seven years. Does that make any sense to you as you read this? It's possible. Anything's possible when it comes to that. And if we're looking at, you know, another 10 or 20 or 30 years, weapons could completely change. 
So we don't know. What we do know is going on in Ezekiel 39.10. It says, They will not take wood for the field or gather firewood from the forest, for they will make fires with the weapons, and they will take the spoil of those who despoiled them and seize the plunder of those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. They're not only going to use the weapons for fire, but they're going to use whatever they find from these five coalescing countries as their spoil to live with, to live by. So it very well could be during the time of the tribulation that all of this is happening because Israel is going to need resources, and these would be resources for them. It goes on to say in verse 11, And it will come about on that day that I shall give Gog a burial ground there in Israel. The valley of those who pass by east of the sea, it will block off the passers-by. So they will bury Gog there with all the multitude, and they will call it the Valley of Hamon Gog. That doesn't tell us where it will be. That just tells us what it's going to be called. This is significant because Gog is the prince who's leading this war. He's going to die in Israel. He's going to be buried in Israel. Well, the one who's leading the Battle of Armageddon is the Antichrist. We're told in Revelation 19 that he's going to be thrown alive into the lake of fire when the end of the tribulation happens, the end of the battle of Armageddon takes place. In Revelation 19, verse 19, it says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, that's the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who'd worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. So clearly, this God cannot be the Antichrist because he's not thrown alive. He's actually killed and buried in the land of Israel. That means that this battle that we're seeing in the battle of Gog and Magog is not the battle of, of Armageddon. Important, this is a separate battle from the battle of Armageddon. It doesn't mean it's not happening during the tribulation period because it could or right at the beginning of it. It tells us now in verse 12 of Ezekiel 39, for seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Even all the people of the land will bury them and will be to their renown on that day that I glorify myself, declares the Lord God. There are at least nine places in these two chapters where God talks about himself being glorified. He's going to use this as a time for the nations to see him. You see, the time of the tribulation is God's judgment on an unbelieving world. While he still gives people the opportunity to see him, it won't be like he is here. I can't help but wonder if this isn't a battle that's going to take place before or at the very beginning of the tribulation period to give people one last opportunity to see who God is before judgment comes upon them. If all the nations are going to be able to see this and know and understand what's going on, that makes sense. One last chance for all the nations to see who he is. Going back to Ezekiel 39, 12, seven months they're going to be burying the dead. I don't see people burying the dead when the millennial kingdom starts. God is going to perform all of his judgments prior to the millennial kingdom so that when the millennial kingdom starts, it's all about worshiping Jesus Christ. It's not about war. It's not about death, though people will be dying during that time, but that's not what it's about. So this war has to take place in advance enough time 
before the millennial kingdom starts because they need seven months to bury the dead in Israel. It just is kind of ghastly to think of how many bodies that there are when you read through this. They will select men who will constantly pass through the land, burying those who are passing through those left on the surface of the ground in order to cleanse it. It just sounds like a huge multitude of bodies that are just left. It's But if you have five nations with all of those people that live in those nations, certainly not everyone's coming up against Israel. It's going to be a huge army. In Ezekiel 39, 17, we see something different. It says, And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every kind of bird, every beast of the field. Assemble and come. Gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I'm going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. And you shall eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, as though they were rams and lambs, goats and bulls, all of them, fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat until you're glutted and drink blood until you are drunk from my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. And you will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all the men of war, declares the Lord God. So you're going to have this great feast in the land of Israel to all the birds and animals, the ravens, the vultures, all kinds of animals, eating the flesh and drinking the blood of the people before they're buried. You think, well, why doesn't God just let the animals get all the carcasses and forget about the burial? Except for burial is very important to Israel. They respect people enough to do that for them and give them a proper burial. Now, what's interesting, again, is there's a similarity here to the Battle of Armageddon. Again, it's a similarity, but it's not the same thing. If we turn over to Revelation 19, during the Battle of Armageddon, God says in verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God in order that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the commanders, the flesh of the mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of all those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. That's something. It sounds exactly like what we're seeing over in Ezekiel, except it's not. And we've shown that they're not the same battles. So this is just an example of God prophesying the same thing for two different time periods. What's so fascinating is that there were hundreds of years where Israel had almost no animals and no birds because they cut down the trees for fire and to build homes during that desolate time of the Ottoman Turkish Empire. So birds stopped flying over because they had nowhere to land and no food to eat. All of that changed in 1948 when Israel became a nation, started producing more fruit on the vine, started planting millions and millions of trees. And now they have a half trillion birds who fly over Israel twice a year as they're making their migration to Africa. That wasn't possible until this timing again, where all these birds could be coming over Israel who would enjoy the feast that God says they're going to enjoy. Just evidence of the full restoration of the land of Israel and the plants and the animals and everything that God predicted in Ezekiel 37. 
And God finishes Ezekiel 39. I'm just going to read a few passages here where he says in verse 21, I shall set my glory among the nations and all the nations will see my judgments, which I have executed and my hand, which I have laid on them. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord, their God from that day onward. Verse 27, when I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of the many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, because I made them go into exile among the nations. And they gathered them again to their own land, and I will leave none of them there any longer, meaning in the other nations. And I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. The new covenant that God promised to Israel is to pour his spirit out upon them. He will do that, that it's going to happen as a culmination of the battle of Gog and Magog. When we look back at Ezekiel thirty-nine twenty-two. God again explains why the house of Israel was exiled in the first place. And he says, And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day onward. The nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their wrongdoing, because they were disloyal to me, and I hid my face from them. So I handed them over to their adversaries, and all of them fell by the sword. In accordance with their uncleanness and their offenses, I dealt with them, and I hid my face from them. So he's telling them that this was his punishment, his judgment, not theirs. He's been in control of that, and now he's in control of their restoration. And not only that, but he promises them in verse 25, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I shall restore the fortunes of Jacob, and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I shall be jealous for my holy name. And they shall forget their disgrace and all their treacheries which they perpetrated against me when they live securely on their own land and no one to make them afraid. That is a great promise of the return of Jesus Christ and the hope they have when he establishes his kingdom on earth with them. How encouraging for Israel to be able to read their prophets and know that this is coming. Now, I understand that they've been reading this for thousands of years and expecting it, but we are here right at the door of these things happening. And we're to the time when God is going to draw his people, Israel, back to himself, and they're actually going to see him. Because right now, Israel is secular. The Jews in the United States primarily are secular as they are in Israel. The religious Jews in both countries, are primarily pharisaical Jews, very legalistic rather than having a true relationship with God. But there's coming a time when they will then turn back to God as they did once. Isn't this just like our God? He never gives up on anyone, not on Israel, not on us, but instead he's always doing what he can to draw us to himself. In this case, he's doing everything he can to draw Israel back to himself because he loves them. And he does have a purpose and a plan for them, as he told them in Jeremiah 29, 11. That promise was during a time of a war with Babylon, but it's still pertinent today. He knows the plans that he has for Israel, and he's going to protect them in these wars because no matter what odds Israel is looking at in the war of Gog and Magog or any other wars, God is watching out for them, and he will protect them. Israel must be in their land for Jesus Christ to return, 
So no one is going to throw them out of the land. As a matter of fact, we're told twice in scriptures that once Israel went back to their land after their second dispersion, that no one will bereave them of children ever again. In other words, they cannot be exiled from their land. The way we read this, it could happen now at any time. No other generation has lived when all five of these nations were coalesced together, when Israel was living securely in its land, when God could provide all that he's provided in spoil for Israel and enemies who want the land and to destroy Israel. It all matches up. Could happen any day. Let's keep looking up because our redemption draws near and so does the redemption of Israel. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.